The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Exodus chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all of the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened bread, unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went up from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All of the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. God, we thank you for your word. The documentary, it's titled, My Flesh and Blood. And in this movie, My Flesh and Blood, it chronicles the life, a year in the life of a woman named Susan Tom and her two 
homegrown children, she calls them, and her 11 adopted children. Each adoption, the result of the children's birth families rejecting these kids due to their various mental and physical disabilities. There's Faith, one of Susan's adopted daughters, who suffered severe burns to her entire body due to being left in her crib during a house fire. There's Joe, who has cystic fibrosis and is nearing the end of his life due to his illness. There's Xenia, who was born without any legs. The decision to title the film, My Flesh and Blood, comes from the message that's thread throughout this documentary. It's the commitment Susan has made to all of these children that they will be considered her own, come hell or high water circumstances. They are her own flesh and blood. But the film not only highlights Susan's commitment to these kids, it also chronicles the kids' faith, whether they want to believe that Susan's love for them is real or is true. And one of the kids, Joe, who has cystic fibrosis in particular, he wants out. He wants out of this family because he's the only one who at least physically on the outside is the least noticeably scarred. He calls the other kids freaks. And even when he's laying on a hospital bed about to undergo another painful procedure to clear out his lungs, his mom, Susan, says, I love you. And his angry response is, no, you don't. Ultimately, who is Susan's flesh and blood is seen in whether or not they trust what she says and what she does. This is where we find ourselves today in the second half of Exodus 12. Pharaoh, the person in the story of Exodus who is serving as a sinful humanity's birth father, if you will, is refusing to sign the papers to give up his parental rights to those the Lord has called his own. And after strike upon strike against Pharaoh for his refusal, the Lord has promised one final knockout punch at the stroke of midnight, the death of every family's firstborn. Every firstborn will die except those who have trusted in what the Lord has said. If an unblemished lamb's blood is on the doorway of the home, death will not come upon that place. But throughout Egypt, most of the doors remain unstained. Can you picture that? As it's five minutes till twelve... As you see on those unstained doors, a prideful refusal to listen to God. It's something you see today. As you look out and see cars traveling around, shopping for Christmas presents, working hard today, following their team playing. Unstained doors who have no regard for what the Lord says. But in the homes of God's own, a feast is going on. A feast of flesh and blood marked 
marking God's own flesh and blood. People who have placed their trust, their faith in the Lord's terms of adoption on this dark night in Egypt. The Lord's terms that say this, only through the Lord's flesh and blood can someone become the Lord's flesh and blood. Only through the Lord's flesh and blood can someone become the Lord's flesh and blood. And the adoption terms on that very night in Egypt remain the same terms today. Only through the Lord's flesh and blood can someone become the Lord's flesh and blood. Will you feast on the lamb in faith? Or will you refuse the terms and leave your doorway unstained? Today, I wanted to use this chapter in Exodus 12 to highlight simply the terms of becoming the Lord's flesh and blood. How does faith in the Lord's terms make someone part of the Lord's family? Three terms I want to highlight today. First term, the firstborn has to take the fall. The second term, his body has to be your bread. And the final term, probably the hardest term to say out loud is, his blood has to be your bath. First term, the firstborn has to take the fall. Look with me at verses 29 to 33. Actually, grieve with me, verses 29 to 33, because it is one of the saddest pictures of faithlessness, of refusing the grace of God. Because at the stroke of midnight, even after being warned, firstborns take the fall. Why the firstborn? The firstborn is a representative of a family's future. The firstborn is responsible for the well-being of the family. And if the family is in financial ruin, it's the firstborn's responsibility to pay off the family's debt. The debt that needs to be paid is the cost of refusing to believe, trust, and live as if Yahweh is the Lord. As if the Lord is the one in charge of everything. The Lord is basically saying in this final plague, this final judgment, if you're going to refuse the giver of life, then you're going to have your life refused you. Starting with the firstborn. The wages, the payment of sin in refusing God, Scripture says, is death. And from the highest, most respected official Pharaoh to the worst Jeffrey Dahmer and Adolf Hitler offenders in the prisons to the best milker Bessie in the barn, every firstborn stops breathing at midnight. Verse 30 marks how universal sin is in the phrase, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. I don't know if you've ever been there when you've seen a parent hear the news of their child that has died. It is so guttural and painful to hear. So just imagine a Lambeau field worth of these cries going on because there was not a household where someone was not dead. The firstborn takes the fall for the family in refusing the Lord. But you have to ask the question, are these the same terms that God's people have on them? Yes, 
They are the same terms. The lamb's blood on the doorway is the Lord's promise of a firstborn taking their fall. The lamb unblemished. The lamb a male. The lamb cut open and bled out. The lamb whose death caused a cry out, not of grief, but of forgiveness as he screamed with what little breath he had, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There are two households depicted in Exodus 12. One where the firstborn of the fall of man takes the fall, and the other where the firstborn of all creation takes the fall. A song has gained considerable traction over the past couple of years. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, if you've watched the movie Encanto. And in the movie Encanto, Bruno is the scapegoat of the family. He was gifted with the ability to see the future and just say the future. And when he would speak honestly about what he saw coming... Everyone saw his predictions as just raining on their parade. He's so negative. So what did they do? They cast him out. They don't want to talk about Bruno. Don't want him around. Don't ever speak of him again. Friends, the difference between a faithless home and a faithful home is whether you talk or don't talk about Bruno. Whether or not you talk talk or don't talk about the lamb is the firstborn's blood on the door is he your scapegoat or not is he the one the family is willing to hold responsible for the fall of the family for the busted parts of the family if he takes the fall the family lives if not the family's future just fades from view even amidst the consequential death friends of the firstborn, even after midnight, after they're all dead, the faithless Egyptian still doesn't want to talk about Bruno. They don't want to talk about the lamb. Pharaoh, instead of repenting over his grievous sin against the Lord, oh, what have I done? My son is dead. He would rather the reminders of the Lord, the people of God, to do this. Get up and get out. Take everything, even your flocks, even your herds. Just get out. He doesn't want any reminders of the lamb. Get him out of here. And at the end of verse 32, he says this, and bless me also. Some read that as Pharaoh asking for some condolence for his country's depleted condition. I don't think that's what it is because that's not what I see in the character of Pharaoh. I actually wonder if Pharaoh is still trying to save face as a leader where bless me also actually means praise me too. Make sure you tell everybody that I let you go. Because what's going to happen to a people, the Egyptians, who learn that their leader's stubbornness was responsible for all of their family's death? He's not long for the throne. But the people also, the people of Egypt, follow Pharaoh's lead and do whatever they can to get the Israelites, these reminders of death, out of their hair. They're wondering, in verse 33, if these people stay here any longer, we shall all be dead. Get them out. And so a plundering comes to God's people by their faith in the Lamb. 
It's not a plundering that comes by force. It's a plundering that comes by faith as Egypt wants them and their plagues out of sight. Here's my coat. What's your hurry? Here's my necklace. What's your hurry? Here's my rings. What's your hurry? Get out of here so that I don't die. The firstborn has to take the fall. The second term, his body has to be your bread. Throughout verses 34 to 42, you see these references to bread, to unleavened bread. The people of God grab their dough before it's raised and pop their kneading bowls on their shoulders. Later in verse 39, you see the baking of this bread, these crackers, because they were kicked out of Dodge so quickly. What is the scripture telling us here? There's a stark separation and distinction that's now being made between a leavened and an unleavened people. As Chris mentioned last week, leaven was associated with sin. Think about leaven. We don't have a lot of bread makers here, I don't think, but think about leaven. What does it do? What does yeast do? It leaves air holes in bread. And that air hole is a picture of sin. Sin is empty. If you feed on the air of bread, how full would you be? Not at all. But without leaven, without those air holes, what you're eating is, in essence, pure and satisfying. The Lord is making a distinction not only with the doors, but with the bread. What they are eating is a testament now to who they are. They are a people set apart, no longer to be living identified in the sin of rebellion against the Lord. They are identified as an unleavened people, a purified people. This night was the night before a new day as a people, if you will. Moving from slaves to free, from oppressed to cared for, from a defeated mob to a victorious army of the Lord. Abraham in Genesis 15, was promised by the Lord that this day would come when the people of God, after living in oppression, would be so quickly set free that there would be no waiting in aisle 5. Notice the language in verse 41. At the end of 430 long years, on that very day, almost like a light switch, all the hosts a term referring to the military troops, went out from the land of Egypt. In an instant, the Lord was keeping watch, verse 42 says, for that moment in which he would make his people holy. And the flatbread was a sign of that sudden and glorious change. What kept them from being killed by the Lord was the perfect lamb, but what also set them free from living in the land of death was the perfect lamb. The Lord was using the bread to mark them as being made holy, as a people set apart and distinctive by the work of the Lamb. Jesus, when he began the Passover supper with his followers, he began by breaking the bread, didn't he? The unleavened bread, declaring what? This is my body given for you. The lamb's life, Jesus' life, was an unleavened life, completely pure, completely dependent upon his Father, completely free of the air holes of rebellion or rejection of God. And as we eat the bread of the Lord's Supper, we take in, we ingest the perfection of the lamb. His perfection by faith serves as our perfection. 
It would become a tradition, verse 42 says, that in the middle of the night for the people of Israel to keep the Seder Supper, the Passover Supper, as they became an unleavened people. And it's our tradition regularly in worship to do the same. A holy people through the Lamb's perfect body and through the Lamb's perfect blood. What is the purpose, though, of this holiness, of being made a holy people? To be a people like the Israelites, whose distinct life is to be seen by a watching world. And Lord willing, a life that's followed by the watching world. As verse 38 shows us the glorious mission behind being a holy people. A mixed multitude also went with them. You are not set apart, church, just to be set apart. Just to hold out until the holy lamb comes back as a lion. No. You're set apart with the Lord's aim to increase, not the size of the loaf of your pride, but the size of his kingdom. Where every nation is part of this one family. Where every tribe, where every tongue is part of this family. It is a picture. This mixed multitude that's going with the Hebrews is a picture of the kingdom mission of God. We're beginning the book of Acts in the spring to hopefully help remember our mission as a church. Our mission to add a leaf and another leaf and another leaf and another leaf and another leaf to the table of the Passover lamb. The firstborn has to take the fall and his body has to be your bread. The final term of becoming God's flesh and blood, his blood must be your bath. Final verses, verses 43 to 51 of this chapter, along with the beginning of chapter 13, which we'll cover next week, seem, they seem almost out of place. It's a passage that we could put a title above that would say, do this in remembrance of me. In the middle of this epic narrative of deliverance comes these instructions for a Passover supper. Why? We've got to remember who this book is originally written to. It's written to the second and third generation of freed Israelites who are about to enter the promised land. Why instruct them, after hearing about all this deliverance from Pharaoh, to be clear about who eats the feast and who does not? Why all this talk about circumcision and uncircumcision, foreigners and strangers? Because the meal was not just a practice of faith. It marked the presence of faith. Only those who had put their faith in the lamb's blood were to eat this meal. As this mixed multitude went with the Hebrews into the wilderness, there were many who were not yet marked by the blood of circumcision, which marked them as God's people. Circumcision. Not to be too graphic, but it's a cutting off of part of the male reproductive organ's foreskin which in effect produced blood. It's a cutting off of flesh, which was followed by blood. 
It was a rite of passage for the fathers of the faith, for the Hebrews. It was a literal sign of flesh and blood. These are my flesh and blood. Of families marked no longer as being part of Pharaoh or the world or the enemy's family. You're now part of the Lord's promised community. But can you imagine being some of this mixed multitude, guys, and being asked, what do I need to do to express my commitment to Yahweh as the Lord? How can I be part of this meal? That you're, this, this Passover meal that you're getting, you, you'd have to be pretty seriously convinced of the safety, the protection, and the life found in the Lord if you were to allow yourself near the knife. Right, guys? But that cutting off of flesh and the blood which follows was a rite of initiation into the family of faith. And from all of those marked fathers, from their family line, from their seed would come the chosen son, the lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And from him would be blood that would be shed once for all, one Passover lamb's blood. So that all who put their trust in the Lord would be cleansed as if with water. His perfect blood on the cross would be a bath of cleansing. Removing the deepest stain of sin. And that blood would also serve to remove a hostile barrier which existed between people groups. And the making of a people. As Galatians 3 puts it. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons. You are all circumcised of God. How? Through faith. All of you. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And if you are Jesus Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The blood of circumcision found in Exodus 12 has been replaced with the waters of baptism. For all who participate, who come in faith along with the rest of their families. When Christ was crucified, and as Ellen read, not a bone of the lamb's body was broken, as verse 46 promised. He was pierced for our sins. And what flowed out of him? Blood and water. His blood becomes our baptism bath. Our entrance into the flesh and blood people of God is now through the washing of water. Why? Because no longer does blood need to be shed. It's finished. That's why it's so important to see these verses that the Passover table be kept holy by those who choose to identify as putting their faith in the deliverance of God alone out of their slavery. There shall be one law, it says, verse 49, one way in demonstrating this faith. Just as there was one circumcision, there is now one baptism. Just as there was one Passover supper. There is now the Lord's Supper. These are the terms. Firstborn taking the fall 
His perfect body, our unleavened bread. His perfect blood, our cleansing bath. Only through faith and trust that the Lamb's flesh and blood can make us God's flesh and blood. I want to ask in closing, what does this mean then for your Monday through Saturday life as a church? As we feast today on the Lord's Supper, let's feast believing that every fall, every failure, every sin from your week this week be put upon the firstborn. Let him take the fall. When you sin, see red, see blood, see death. And see it as being Christ's. Give up trying to make your sin up to God or up to others. Friends, the wrath of God at the doorway of a house is not a salesman you can talk your way out of your house. No thanks, I don't want any. He demands payment of debt. If you choose to pay the debt yourself, which all those Egyptians did, a death is going to be required. Choose instead the lamb's blood to cover the door and cover the cost. Another thing in application is to make your homes distinctive. What does your life look like that's different from the life of the rest of the world? How does your home look different? How does your doorway look different from the rest of the world? As we feast on the Lord's Supper this morning, we need to feast believing that the Lamb's perfect body is your unleavened bread. Remember and receive and swallow His perfection. I want to speak to perfectionists this morning, like myself. Please give up the attempt to find in that one moment when all is made right with the world and you can't quite hang on to it, and instead, let the Lamb be all that is right with the world. No one but Christ can live up to God's standards, not even you. Ask Him to make you holy by rushing you out of the places of temptation and sin. And as His Spirit does perfect you more and more, remember... There's a mixed multitude that's watching you and that might even be asking, what am I seeing there? You know, anyone that's on a keto or a plant-based diet, they won't spare you from telling you all about their diet, right? They love to tell you what they're eating. You're on an unleavened bread diet. Tell everybody what you're eating. And as we feast on the Lord's Supper, feast believing that the Lamb's blood is your cleansing bath. Friends, remember your baptism into this family came through flesh and blood. You are made clean by a blood that really did pour out from the cross. It is real blood. It is Christ's real blood. You are made clean by a blood Drink deeply of his cleansing when you take the wine or the juice. When you're tempted to believe 
because you're messed up or because you've messed up that you're still on the outside of the family of faith? No. Drink deeply of his cleansing when the enemy tries to convince you, no, you're still a slave. This morning I was in the shower and just putting my head back, remembering all of this and thinking about Christ's blood being my cleansing bath. As you drink that wine or juice, you are made clean by the blood of the Lamb. If you haven't been baptized and you believe by faith that Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, let's make that happen. We can find water easily. Baptism is the mark of a visible people, washed, women, children, servants, now included. Every gang, friends, has an initiation rite. If you go to Milwaukee, you go to Chicago, every gang has an initiation rite. So too does the church. It's called baptism. And as we're washed, and once we're washed, then we're allowed to feed. Let's pray for our time at the table as we feast on the Lamb, God's own flesh and blood, remembering that we too are now and forever God's own flesh and blood, sons and daughters. How? By faith in the Lord's flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this meal. Thank you for the time that it is to remember what it is that the Lamb did for us. That the Lamb body and blood was shed, that the firstborn took our fall. The firstborn of all creation took our fall so that we don't have to die. Help us to remember that his body is a perfect sacrifice. There is no leaven in Jesus' life. He lived a perfectly obedient life. As we swallow the bread, make his perfection ours. And Father, help us also to remember that his blood is our bath, our cleansing bath from sin. As we swallow the liquid, may we remember the blood that makes us clean today. And Father, may we live this unleavened life that the world may see and wonder what it is that we're eating and drinking. And may we say, Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.